Let's go through every single package installed on a Linux install DVD, specifically Slackware 14.2. Um, of course, these are all open source packages that I'm talking about on this show, so they probably can still apply to you, even if you're not running Slackware and even if you're not running Linux. These are open source packages, so you can download the source code and run them on any computer, whether you're running Linux, Mac, Windows, BSD, doesn't matter. You can learn probably something from this episode. So let's get started. This time we're going to pick up with Clang-Query. Clang-Query, and, and frankly a lot of this Clang stuff, it's just a really, really good example of how tricky technical documentation really is at, at, at its very foundation. I mean, it is just so hard to identify or, or to, to relay to people everything that they need to know in order to understand what a command can do. And, I mean, it doesn't have to be Clang. It can be something like ls. Like, the very concept of ls. So simple. And yet, it does assume that the user knows that there are things called files and directories on a computer. And I know that most of us think, well, it's pretty common for people to know about that. Like, if, if you're at the point of being introduced to ls, then you probably know there are files and directories. But, I mean, let's take it back. Let's walk that back and, and think about, well, what if we were introducing ls to people earlier it, it wasn't something that you learned in in your as a young adult when you're discovering linux or or as a teenager when you're discovering linux or whenever uh it's something that you're being introduced to really really early on before you actually do really understand the difference between files and directories at least on a on an abstract level to you they're just all icons so how do we explain to people what ls does well we have to kind of walk backwards a little bit and talk about the file system and what kind of different files there are and and so on and then you know you could get even trickier and you could try to explain to people well you know technically there aren't really anything there aren't really folders like those don't actually exist either those are just designations um those are almost tags i get well that probably gets into a different conversation and probably goes down the wrong path but you you know what i'm saying I mean, it can be very very complex and i feel like clang dash query is rather complex i'm saying that because in order to talk about clang dash query i feel like i need to go back to about about 200 300 bce so back then in in Greece, or in the Greek region, whatever that looked like then, there was this guy named Euclid, and he came up with a bunch of mathematical ideas that persist even today. And one of the one of the ideas that he came up with was this thing that we call the Euclidean algorithm, and that is a a step-by-step -step process, documentation if you will, of how to find the greatest common divisor of a number. Now, pardon me, I'm not a mathematician. I did very poorly in math, actually, in, in school before I completely dropped out anyway, so I'm not, this isn't my specialty. But, for instance, the Euclidean algorithm would say that if we were looking for the greatest common divisor of 20 and 25, then the first step would be to identify the divisors of those of of each of those numbers in the first place. And specifically, obviously, we want the, the divisors that that do not rem that, that leave no remainder or no no modulo. So, for instance, twenty divided by one is twenty. So there's no remainder there. Twenty is twenty, so that's perfect. Two divided by twenty, I mean, rather, twenty divided by two is ten, and ten. Ten plus ten is twenty. So again, no no remainders. Twenty divided by three is something like six. 
Uh, so if we have 6 3 times, that's 6, 6, 12, uh, 6, 18. 18 is not 20, it's 2 less than 20. So that's a remainder, so that doesn't count. So 1, 2, and then we would do 4, and then 5, and then 10. That Those are all valid square, or you know, roundly divided numbers or factors of 20. Now, 25 is a little bit more limited, you'll find. One, uh, 25 divided by 1 is 25. 25 is 25, so that's good. 25 divided by 2 is something like 12.5. Well, that doesn't quite work, so no, that's not one of them. Three divi 25 divided by 3 is, I don't know, let's call it 7. Yeah, 7 probably, because 7 plus 7 plus 7 is 21. There's 4, yep. Uh, well, so actually, 8 would be 24, so there's 1 left over. Um, 4... No, it's more 5. 25 divided by 5 is 5. And you can keep going up until you get to 25. You'll find that there's no further, there's no other number that, that divides squarely into 25. So you've got two lists of numbers now. 1, 2, 4, 5, and 10 for 20. And then 1 and 5 for 25. The only two common number, the, the greatest common number, rather, in that, in those lists, if you compare them, is 5. And, and now we've got the greatest common divisor of, of 20, 25, and 20 is, is 5. So that's a really sort of probably stunted and, and poorly executed example of the Euclidean algorithm. And the reason that I bring this up is that you can summarize the Euclidean algorithm in sort of a pseudocode notation that I'm going to just rip out of Wikipedia directly. It is while b equal is not equal to 0, if a is greater than b, a is set to a minus b, else b is set to b minus a, return a. That's the, what is called an abstract syntax tree, or AST for short, of the Euclidean algorithm. The reason that is important, and you can look up abstract syntax tree, that's a, that's a thing. We've kind of almost talked about it in the past, although not quite, but it, there are similar ideas to that, just sort of this abstract representation of of, of, a, of a bigger idea, of an algorithm, I guess. So, AST is important because Clang creates an AST for code that it is compiling. And you can find information about that on clang.llvm.org slash docs slash introduction to the Clang AST.html. There's a video there that you could look at. There's a bunch of writing about it. It more or less explains what Clang is doing and why it does that. But I feel like, more or less, for all practical purposes, I feel like we're caught up on that concept with the demonstration that I've just provided. So what we can do is just kind of file away in our minds that Clang keeps kind of a record of how, of how, uh, of, of where everything sort of relate, how everything relates to each other within the code. And it does this while it is, um, sort of compiling your code, or, or rather prior to um, compiling your code, I guess, uh, technically. And you can look into that. You, can, you, ha you have insight into the AST that Clang builds for the code with Clang-Query. So before we get too far into AST, or, or into, how, into looking at the AST with Clang-Query, I guess I need to build a little example project here. So I'm going to do that. So I've got, I'm in my demo directory and I'm creating a folder called clang-query-test. 
And I'm going to make something called, I don't know, mytest.cpp. So the first thing I'll do is I'll hash include angle bracket standard io.h angle bracket. And that I am including because I want access to printf. Seems like a pretty good thing to have. And then I'm going to do a hash include angle bracket standard lib stdlib standard lib.h angle bracket. And I'm doing that because I want access to a2i which uh, I just happen to know that I'll need for what I have in mind. So the first function that I'm going to define is int add num parentheses int num close parentheses. We'll do a little curly brace there to open that function up. And all this is going to do is it's going to return num plus num semicolon. And then I'll close the curly brace. Pretty simple little function. It's just going to take whatever number I throw into it as an integer. It's going to add the, that number to itself, and it's going to return the results. And then I'm going to make a new function called int main, parentheses, and then to get to get input in from the terminal, from the, the command that people are typing, I'm going to do int argc, and then comma car asterisk asterisk argv, close parentheses. argc, of course, is the count of how many arguments someone has provided, and argv is an, a character array of what they've entered. So I'll close the parentheses, open up the curly brace, and then let's just do, um, I guess I'm just going to do an int foo equals addnum, so I'm referring back to that function, addnum, parentheses a2i, parentheses argv square bracket one close square bracket. So I just, I'm allowing the user to give me one thing on the on one argument when typing in this command square bracket close parentheses close parentheses semicolon and then I'm going to do a printf parentheses quote percent d backslash in close quote comma foo parentheses semicolon so all I'm doing is printing the number that I get back from foo to to the terminal and foo of course is going to that makes a call to addnum and it's sending sending that number into that function. And then I'm going to return 0 because int main says that it has to return a number, an integer. And the, the return number, in this case, I just want to trigger 0 for success, as Unix often does, and then close the curly brace. So it's a simple little 12-line um, program, depending on how, how, you, uh, how you do that. And then I guess really quick, like, I'm just going to do a clang plus plus on mytest.cpp just to make sure that it, it works. Uh, it looks like it did work, so I'm going to do an a dot slash a dot out uh, 21, and it returns 42, so that's correct. All right, I'm going to get rid of a dot out just because I don't need it right now. And I'll um, make a cmake lists.txt file, and let's see, the first line is going to be cmake underscore minimum underscore required parentheses version 3.10 close parentheses, and project parentheses my test version 1.0 close parentheses, add executable, I'll do parentheses my test, which of course is going to come from my test.cpp parentheses, install parentheses targets my test, close parentheses. I don't know strictly if that's actually even necessary. 
because I, I don't ever intend to install this, but I, I have a feeling CMake might want that information, so I'm going to do it anyway. And then install parentheses directory all in capitals equals dollar sign curly brace CMake underscore current underscore binary underscore dir close curly brace slash my test dash dollar sign curly brace my test underscore version curly brace quote type data close parentheses save that and now I'm going to make a directory called build I'm going to go into build and I'm going to do cmake well normally as we know I would do cmake dot dot right that's the the usual cmake incantation well in this case I'm not going to do that I want, I'm going to add a very special option here dash capital D and then no space capital C make underscore CXX underscore compiler compiler equals u slash user bin clang plus plus space dot dot so I'm just doing my normal cmake dot dot command except instead of just doing a cmake space dot dot I am doing it with a dash d for what does that stand for again I don't know whatever dash d stands for I think I did know what that stood for one one time uh, but it's it's the it's the sort of hey add this parameter or add this um, declaration maybe into into your little databanks there, CMake. And the thing that I'm telling CMake is that, hey, I, I don't want to use whatever my system might tell you to use for the compiler. I want to specifically use Clang++. And I'll run that. It says configuring done, generating done, build files have been written too. And it's, it's in this build directory. And if I do an ls, yeah, there's a whole bunch of new files here now. So as we know, we can now do CMake dash, what is it, dash make? Or no, CMake dash dash make. Ah, someone told me about this uh, CMake dash dash build. Yeah, CMake dash dash build, but really I want to do a dash dash make, but I guess that's not how that works. Anyway, I'm going to do, um, what am I going to do? Oh, I don't even need to make this right now. I forgot what I was doing. So actually what I'm really going to do is go back to the main directory here, out, out of build, and I'm going to do C so clang dash query uh, space dash dash help let's do that really quick so according to the dash dash help of clang query it says that I need to give it some options and a source zero and it defines the source zero as specify the the paths of source files well I only have one source file so presumably all I'm going to need is one source so that would be source zero uh, options. I don't know that I need any options right now, so I'm just going to do query, new, uh, clang dash query, and then I guess just give it, yeah, the source, so mytest.cpp. And it tells me that it could not auto de detect compilation database for file mytest.cpp. No compilation database found in any parent directory. JSON compilation database error while opening JSON database, no file or directory. I couldn't get this thing to work. Uh, I mean, th this part of this thing to work. It is working. I'm, I'm now in a clang-query prompt. And that this is where we're going to be able to query the AST, which, as you'll recall from moments ago, is abstract syntax tree. And this is, of course, the LLVM special AST. There's, there's potential for lots of ASTs to be out there, but this is the one that clang uses. Uh, so it's specific to clang. Now, what I will say, though, is that this uh, this idea of a compile underscore, no, whatever it is, compile, uh, compile command dot JSON or something like that, it's a file that is supposed to be generated when you issue the cmake dash dcmake underscore cxx underscore um, 
compiler equals user bin clang plus plus dot dot it, that it from what the documentation says that should generate the uh, compile underscore command dot json or or whatever the exact name of the file is it's it's either command underscore compile or compile underscore commands yeah it's got to be compile underscore commands dot json that's supposed to hold uh, sort of cmake specific information about this project and i just can't get it working from scratch to generate that now it does generate it in other cases i've been able to f- I, i've been able to create that file with other projects but not with this one for some reason not, not with one just generated from scratch maybe i don't have the right cmake options in there i'm not sure i couldn't be bothered because the chances of me using this ever again are very very small actually but it's still pretty interesting so turns out that once you're in clang dash query the prompt you're in this interactive sort of space and you can now use um you can use a query language specific again to to um actually i don't know how specific no it is okay it it's i think it's specific to clang and there are there is a a reference to all of the different things that you can check for it, it, you you can check the ast for and this could be obviously really really useful if if you if you had i don't know if you were looking for something very specific there's a whole ast matcher reference on the clang website clang.llvm.org/docs/ libastmatchersreference.html which i'll put in the show notes and it gives you all the kind of keywords that you could use in order to find to to to, to query i guess the the code that you're that you're looking for so i'm going to just do one that I know will actually return something useful or or slightly useful, which is um, the function declaration or declarer. Um, And so for that, oh, and by the way, (laughs) by the way, uh, Clang Query doesn't doesn't have read line support, which we've learned about in the previous episode. So actually I'm gonna, I'm gonna control D out of this, I think, yes I am. And I am going to then do rl wrap clang dash query my test dot cpp. How about that? Now it should it should work uh, with with all the conveniences that I would expect. And yes, it does. Control A gets me back to the beginning of the line. Perfect. Okay. So anyway, match m a t c h or just m for short. But let's do full full commands right now. Match. So this is in the query prompt clang query prompt match space function decal that's function and then capital d lowercase e c l parentheses has name again camel cased so it's a capital n and then a parentheses and we'll define the name that we're looking for as add num close oops i forgot to put parentheses around that it's okay because i have arrow usage now that i have rl wrap so has name parentheses quote add num close quote close parentheses close parentheses do I have to do a semicolon I'm in the habit of doing a semicolon now no because I'm in clang query okay perfect so we're just matching we're looking for a match of something that has a function declaration that has the name of add num I hit return and it says hey there's a match match number one is home clatu demo clang dash query dash test 
mytest.cpp line four, uh, character one or whatever. Uh, yeah, column one, that's what it is. Note, root binds here, int add num int num curly brace. So it, it shows me exactly where that entity is found within within the code base. And that's it. That's that's Clang query. I don't know where to go from here. I don't know sort of like I don't I don't have the I don't have the use case available to me. Um I, I've read a couple of articles about it and the use case still wasn't a hundred percent clear to me. It was it, it seemed more like it was just sort of, hey, here's a really useful way of, of sort of exploring a, a code base. And that does seem useful, but I, I I don't have sort of a an A to B kind of or an A to Z kind of workflow of, hey, you're looking for this, well start here and then end up here. But this is definitely, I can say definitively, that this is how to get clang-query to work, which is to issue clang-query path to the source file or files, and it will pull all those pieces together, and then you can look for the components within that code. I mean, maybe that maybe that's the, the, the use case right there, right? I mean, this is the kind of functionality you would expect from a good IDE, where you find a function and you think, where does that function live? It, it, it's being called here in this, you know, file number 47.cpp. Where does it come from? Well, you click on it, or you right-click on it, or you alt-enter on it, or whatever you do in your IDE, and it brings up, like, all the different instances, or maybe it brings up the definition, you know, whatever. So maybe that, in a in a way, would be similar to this. Like, I know that this code uses adnum a lot. I've seen it all over the place. I just can't figure out who's defining adnum. Like, is that a, is that a library that we're pulling in from, from some, from boost or, or some extra repository of, of libraries outside of C++ or is it something that we've defined ourselves? If so, where does it live? You can find it now in Clang Query. Control D to get out. That's it. That's Clang Query. Well, we've gone all the way back to ancient Greece, so I think we kind of deserve a cup of coffee at this point. So let's go get one, we'll come back, continue with the next command. coffee for a moment. I have a friend, Claudio. He was a podcaster with Linux Basement for a while, which is an old podcast that is, I think, pretty much gone now. I don't, I don't, I don't think it has files lying around the internet or anything. I mean, it was a show sort of of its time. It was like lots of current events and that sort of thing, so I don't know how useful the episodes would be now anyway. Podcasts are like that, obviously. Some of them are more ephemeral than others, and I mean, obviously the my walkthrough of Slackware, I don't mean for it to be super ephemeral. I, I feel like a lot of these things are going to be around for a long time, so these may have, as they say, a long tail, but other episodes ha are, are very ephemeral, or snippets of episodes are ephemeral. So anyway, Claudio used to have this show, and you'll hear him if, if you listen to Hacker Public Radio, you'll know him from there as well. Super nice guy. Why I'm talking about him, he makes this fancy coffee called Cafe 
Cubano. And Café, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, Café Cubano is a Cuban coffee, uh, a style of, of coffee from Cuba, and it is uh, essentially an espresso that you make, I believe with milk and sugar, but I've seen differing opinions online or, or definitions online. Some of them say, no, the milk is not necessary, but basically it's a sweetened uh, espresso, which, you know, in a weird way, just doesn't seem, like, on, on one hand, you think, well, so it's just an espresso, so, like, why why does it get its own name? Well, first of all, because coffee people love to give their drinks special names. Like, you do one little thing different, and you get a whole new, a whole new name. You know, like, here in New Zealand, there's a very popular coffee called a flat white, which I'd never heard of, and then there's, uh, until moving here, and then there's the Long Black, and all kinds of weird names that is just like, well, what's the difference? Like, a Long Black essentially is an Americano, so I don't know why they call it a Long Black instead of an Americano. I mean, other than maybe they just don't have an association, because I think Americano is just an association from, like, World War II or something in France. They noticed that the Americans took their coffee sort of bizarrely weaker than the Europeans, and so they would call it an Americano coffee. So maybe there's just not that association, so it got a different name, Long Black. Café Cubano, either with milk or without, but it's, it's, from what I can tell, it's definitely sugar. It's definitely put sugar and an espresso together and drink it. I don't know if I'm doing it right, I don't know if I've got enough sugar or not enough sugar or too much sugar, but it's a really, really tasty little treat. I, I don't like sugar in my coffee. I, I never have sugar in my coffee and, and usually really don't like it when there is sugar in coffee. However, for a nice little dessert, a liquid dessert, a uh, Café Cubano is is excellent. It's just such a nice... And it's it's just... It's such a small little thing, too. I mean, we're talking about, like, one shot or two shots of espresso, right? So you're, you're not drinking a whole big cup of this stuff. You're just... You're just taking a shot of it. And it's a nice, sweetened coffee... A burst that, as a dessert, is excellent, and I can highly recommend it. I can't tell you how to make it other than saying, again, espresso plus sugar, but it's something that Claudio sort of introduced me to, and I tried it. I've tried it a couple of times, and like I say, for dessert, it's it's really, really good. You ought to try it. That's been this coffee segment. What's next in our list? Clang-rename. Clang-rename, once again... It's one of those functions that you kind of would expect from, say, an IDE. It's not an uncommon feature for an IDE to allow you to click on a function name or a variable name or a class name, but I think class name would... Well, no, class class eventually, yeah. Any of those things, like, you know, something... One of the constructors of, of programming languages, you can click on it, and very often there's a selection or an option for you to be able to refactor or just rename. The tricky thing is, in code, is that, you know, if you're looking at just text files, you you can you can just do a search and replace. You could do a search and replace across several files, and that would work. I think you would have to be careful if you were renaming main, for instance, because the word main, M-A-I-N, you could feasibly imagine that occurring in text of your application or something. Or you could see it being a substring in something bigger. So, like, remain, remaining, and suddenly you're renaming main to, I don't know, foo, and now you've got things like refoo, refoo, or something like that. So, yes, you would want to be careful with common strings like that. But assuming that your function names and variable names are unique and 
and don't occur elsewhere. You could just do a big uh, a set across a bunch of different files and and update everything there. You've refactored your code. Well, you haven't refactored, but you've renamed some function within your code, which broadly is is part of sort of the process that many people call refactoring. So you can do that, but an IDE has that little bit of extra knowledge about about really the I guess the AST, the abstract syntax tree of your of your code base. So it knows that when you say to rename the add num function, you're not just talking about the letters a d d n u m no matter where they appear, but specifically references to that function should now take on the new name of and the function itself should now take on a new name. So instead of add num, it's double num or, or whatever. So or plus num, whatever you've you've renamed it to. So clang rename helps you do that in a safe way outside of an IDE. However, it can also be easily integrated into text editors like Vim and Emacs so that users are able to to have access to the same kind of, you know, you're kind of piecemealing together an IDE. So you get that added integration into your text editor. That's what clang-rename does. You can do, for instance, um, like a clang-rename-qualified-name equals foo dash new dash name equals bar and then you point it to your source code like mytest.cpp and now the thing that was called foo before is now called bar. Simple as that. It doesn't operate willy-nilly on substrings. It's it's a thing that operates intelligently on your code base as determined by sort of an intelligent read of the code, like an understanding of the code. That's clang dash rename. That's easy. Clang tidy, that's clang dash tidy, is kind of a, a linter almost, but it's highly configurable linter for your code, which is kind of neat. I was underwhelmed when I ran it uh, personally, but I think one of the exciting things about this is that it is configurable. You can create your own checks for Clang Tidy to adhere to. You can find out what the um, what 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 the not restrictions, but like what what rules it has in place with a dash dump dash config option. So clang dash tidy space dash dump dash config space dash space dash dash. Beautiful syntax. And uh, that was sarcasm. And uh, it tells me that the checks are clang diagnostic dash asterisk, clang dash analyzer dash asterisk, dash clang dash analyzer dash alpha asterisk, header filter regex nothing, analyze temporary detours, false user, clatu, check options, and then it gives me a whole bunch of different options and keys, key values. Google dash readability dash braces dash around dash statements dot short statement lines. Google dash readability dash function dash size dot statement threshold and so on. So it gives me a bunch of different lines. Well, I wasn't able to really see anything useful from Clang dash tidy until I just started introducing random errors into my code. I couldn't see anything at all either way as far as I could tell. Actually, no, now that I say that, I could be wrong. I'm going to do, I'm going to go back to my Clang query test really quick. I'm going to introduce an error into my test by just removing a curly brace. And then I'm going to run clang tidy space my test dot cpp. Ah, oh, there we go. Yeah, okay, I do get some errors. If I introduce errors, I can get clang tidy to sort of um, 
yell at me about it, but I couldn't get it to sort of make note of sloppy code no matter what I did, which I felt was weird because, I mean, some of that, some of these things sounded like they were kind of soft constraints around readability, but I just couldn't figure out how to violate them without, again, just introducing blatant errors that would probably, that should cause it not even to, I mean, it shouldn't compile with, yeah, it wouldn't compile with this. So anyway, remove a curly brace and you get errors about, hey, there's a there's a curly brace that is missing here or there. So, like I say, it's a little bit of a linter, but I, I gather from from what from what it actually says in sort of its help uh, menu or its you know its help output. I gather that it's it's also supposed to be a stylistic thing. It's not just supposed to catch errors. I think it's supposed to also tell you when you're when you're not conforming to something like Google readability having braces around statements I guess although I guess maybe that is an error I don't know but readability namespace comments well I have no namespace comments whatsoever I've got no comments at all but it's not it's not really um, it's not bugging me about that but maybe that's short namespace lines space before comments yeah there could be a couple of things about that let's let's try that really quick I'm gonna go into my test.cpp and let's put in a comment without any spaces. Um, adds numbers. So I'm I'm doing a comment inside the um, inside the function of add num, and I'm going to do one inside of main. This is the main func. So one of them has spaces in front of that comment. One of them does not. So let's clang tidy clang tidy my test. It doesn't seem to care either way. Yeah, I don't know. I can't get it to. I can't. I cannot apparently seem to 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 violate any of its checks, and I, I really don't know why. Because I feel like I am. I mean, certainly, especially with just comments, spaces before comments too. I don't see how I could not be violating that somehow. I've got one with no spaces, and I've got one with spaces. One of those should be violating. How about if I put a lot of spaces in front of it? Would that do it? No, doesn't do it. Now, I do keep getting um, the compilation database errors, and, and that's related to that JSON file that apparently uh, cmake-dcmake underscore cxx underscore compiler should generate, and, and it isn't. So I'm going to go back to a different code base here. This is the hello code base, and I guess I'll put in some comments here, again, just with with different sort of violations or what I think might be violations and do a clang tidy on hello.c and again nothing there at all um, it'll pick up an error but it won't it won't give me any feedback about style so I'm not I'm not 100% sure how to kind of trigger clang tidy because that's it's sort of Obviously not. I don't think that's working. But um, anyway, in theory, you should do a you should be able to do a dash fix option to cause Clang Tidy to actually repair the 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 changes that it finds. And I guess if I do something crazy like remove one of those curly braces and then do a Clang Tidy dash fix hello dot c, uh, it says that oh it's not dash fix. Sorry, it's dash fix dash errors, uh, then it says that there are errors 
and if I do a cat on hello C, the errors have not been fixed. Cool. So that's a great demonstration. Um, you know, this is one of those commands where I don't know, I'm looking at the help and I'm reading it and I'm doing what I think it's telling me to do and it's just not responding. Apply suggested fixes even if compilation errors were found. If compilation errors have attached fixits, Clang Tidy applies them as well. Um, list dash list dash checks. I guess I could try that. Let's do a Clang Tidy dash list dash checks. Yeah, it's got a bunch of checks that it's it, that it's um, that it's apparently it's apparently applying. And maybe those are the checks that just conventions LLVM conventions. Yeah, maybe the maybe there's a difference between the config dump versus the checklist, and these are and and the checks are the thing that it's actually checking because I don't see any stylistic things in the in this list. This looks pretty pretty technical, you know, like well, a bunch of them are for Coco, which I don't obviously that does not going to apply to me under any circumstance, but other ones are about. Well, there is one for conventions, but a lot of the other ones are like C++, new delete, new delete leaks, um, unintentionalized branch, malloc, API, vfork, cstring bad size argument, cstring null argument, and so on. So yeah, it could be that I'm just not finding the right brand of... What if I did int foo equals um, 12 and then never used that? fix errors hello.c okay there we go that 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 seemed to possibly do it so from what i can tell it f claims to have fixed an error clang tidy applied one of one suggested fixes and that fix was to put a semicolon after the main parentheses parentheses that's really bizarre okay so yeah i don't know i'm not feeling great about clang dash tidy I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm not saying it's broken. I am simply saying that I'm not finding the right combination of of errors, I guess. But don't worry. I think we can still end this episode on a high note, just like episode 421 with a successful attempt, not with Clang Tidy, because that's just not working for me, but Clang dash, no, sorry, git dash Clang dash format git-clang-format is like clang-format except for whatever reason it, it works sort of in conjunction with git. I'm 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 not 100% sure what the what the benefit here is. Um but yeah, I I I don't get quite the workflow benefit here, but I it, it does work with git and maybe it's just because it has git knowledge so it can say well, I can't format this file because it hasn't been committed yet or or staged yet or stashed yet. But yeah, maybe that would be the benefit. It feels like a very bare minimum benefit, but maybe I'm just kind of overlooking the workflow that would cause that to be exciting to me. Either way, if I go into, for instance, this Hello World application place, and I do a git init space dot... Actually, I don't, I don't think you have to do the dot anymore, do you? You can just do git, git, git init as of 2.9 or something like that. Anyway, I'm going to open up hello.c and uh well i guess i don't really oh and i'm, I'm going to add that curly brace back in is what i'm going to do i'm going to fix what clang tidy did not fix and i've still got those stupid comments in the code looks horrible essentially is, is the problem but that's fine so it's there and now i'm going to do git dash clang dash format and i get an 
error saying that uh, there's nothing for it to format. So the first thing that I need to do then is git add hello.c. So the, the way that it expresses that, by the way, is bad, fatal, bad revision head. I don't find that a very helpful error message, but that's the error message that you might see were you doing this. Um, so I'm going to do commit, or git commit, or git add, rather, hello.c, and then git commit-m first. That's enough. Return. And now I've got something committed. So I could do, again, git clang format again, but now it says no modified files to format. Okay, so I'm going to open up hello.c in Emacs, and I will barely change something, just enough to, to trigger um, git again, and now I'll do a git add hello.c again, git commit, or do I have to, I don't think I have to git commit it yet. Yeah, I don't. Okay, so git so I've just added the changed file. That's all I've done is I've stashed it. And in fact, it says um, in some iteration here, it tells me that, yeah, here it is. Okay, so if I hadn't added it, if I hadn't remembered to add it, it would have said the following files would be modified but have unstaged changes. Hello.c, uh, please commit, stage, or stash them first. So I've done that, and now I'm going to do a git clang format on hello dot c and it says changed files hello dot c so if i do a cat of hello dot c i see that it has indeed changed the file i wouldn't call this beautiful code still but i guess it 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 fits with the way that it believes the code should look which i believe i've fooled it with my bad my badly formatted comments this is probably maybe arguably a bug to report to clang actually i, I bet they don't really want that to happen maybe they do but anyway because I have indented my first comment, one, two, three, four, five, six by six columns. No, this isn't COBOL. This is just C. I've, I've just happened to indent it. It starts in the sixth column. Um, everything starts in the sixth column. So int and main are indented to six, and then the next column, the next comment is indented two further uh, columns, and then print f hello open source hello open source. Um, backslash in and then return zero and then the curly brace bizarrely to close out that function goes all the way back to the beginning so it's a, a trailing curly brace just in column one of the document so I I can't say that this is beautiful code I guess I could try let's let's test the theory let's say that this call this comment is tricking things so I'm going to move that back to the beginning of the line and then I'm going to do get clang format hello c again oh right it doesn't want me to be able to do that because it hasn't been the changes haven't been added so git add hello c now git clang format hello c it says it's changed it again i'm catting it and it looks like yes the position of that initial comment apparently dictates where for instance in this case int goes now bizarrely main gets is still moved out to the sixth column, and the next comment goes is only indented two. So this actually kind of looks worse, um, which is interesting. Now I wonder if we could at least get Clang tidy to take note of of the dire situation going on here. No, it's it, Clang tidy is fine with this format. Yeah, so it's a little bit rough around the edges, I would have to say. I don't know the intended workflow of this. I'm I'm a little bit. Uh, I feel like I'm. I mean, I I'm definitely abusing it because obviously, like, or not obviously, but I don't believe that this would like the initial comment would be 
left justified in most cases. So I, I get that. Um, there wouldn't be a blank line, hopefully, between Int and Main, and it wouldn't have gone, you know, I, I'm feeding it kind of really messy code. And, and yeah, I guess I'm testing its resolve, and it is failing a little bit. However, I did get results. And at this stage, with LLVM, I feel like that's that's something. In the next episode, we're going to go over LLC and LLI and a bunch of LLVM utilities, some of which we've already talked about with GCC, like LLVM-AR and LLVM-AS and so on. I, I don't feel like they're going to get a whole lot of time because we've done a lot of this stuff. LLVM-NM. Once you've dumped symbols from one compiler, you've dumped symbols from all of them, right? I mean, probably. Well, we'll find out. Tune in next week for more LLVM and compiler fun. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. My name's Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted until next time thanks for listening and keep the source open a bunch of notes from an electronic hunk of metal. Now, I'm not in the habit of taking orders from a machine.